Okay. Well, again, good morning. You guys can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to do part 4 today. It's one of those longer chapters, but some chapters take a little longer than others. So today we're going to be in part 4, verses 17 to 24. I have a new outline for you and some verses just so you don't have to open to your Bibles and then you can take that with you if you want and study them further. Make sure that I'm not being a, her- a heretic or a hypocrite or saying something that's wrong. Uh, but that's there for you guys. So why don't you just join with me real quick and I'll pray and we will get started. Father, again, thank you this morning for your amazing grace, that song that we love to sing, Lord God, but... We can be singing that every day of our lives, Lord God. We stand here because of your great love. We stand here because you're an extremely kind and wonderful God. And you're a God who helps us in this life, living in this world, Lord God, which is sinful, Lord God. And you help us, Lord God, to to battle against our own flesh, which is sinful, Lord God. And You help us and give us the victory in your Son against the spiritual forces of the enemy, Lord God. And we just have it so made. We have everything that we need. We're a blessed people. So, Father, we ask, as always, every morning, every Sunday, Lord God, that we need your help and we need your strength from the Spirit to understand your word, for me to teach your word, for Pastor to preach your word this morning and this evening, Lord God. We need your help from beginning until end, and we know that we have it, Lord God. So we just want to say thank you, and just pray, Lord God, now that you would keep our minds free from distractions so that we can understand your good and perfect word to us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So topic is going to be serving the Lord in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Again, the scripture, verses 17 to 24, general objective, being content in every and all situations. A lot of this seems like it's very familiar sounding. The specific objective is recognizing God's sovereign hand in our lives, in every particular area of our lives. Um, Thesis, our lives are not our own, very simply. We are here, as we're going to see, we were bought with a price. So... Number one in our outline is going to be we must understand that God is the one that has placed us in our current context, whatever situation that may be, including how we got saved, when we got saved. Number two, we ought to accept and embrace these situations. I spelled accept wrong, forgive me. (laughs) That God has placed us in and remember what God truly desires. Uh, And then we must remember the cost of our salvation. So let's look at number one. Let me read the text first. I didn't even read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 to 24. And the scripture says this. Let's give our attention to it. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition, in, 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 I'm sorry, in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? 
Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Okay. So number one in our outline, we must understand that God is the one that has placed us in our current circumstance. Verse 17. Again, only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called each in this manner, let him walk and so I direct in all the churches. You know, life can be difficult for a Christian living in a world that functions and operates according to a different mindset. They march to a beat of a different drum, right? We're now different in Christ. Humanity carries a lot of baggage with them, right? We can say some more than others, but they carry a lot of baggage and they have lots of insecurities. And the Christian is not immune to this now that they are in Christ Jesus. They must learn how to function with this new nature, right? We're all still learning how to function with this new nature until God calls us home and their new set of spiritual eyes and ears. In other words, now that we are new creations, we have to learn how to live in this temporary state until we receive our final state. There are a lot of questions that the Christian often has for God. Many of us have questions a lot of times for God. And questioning Him is never bad if it is done the right way. Kind of like Habakkuk, right? That we would know what He desires for us. Not questioning Him like, who do you think you are, Lord? We should never be like that. But when we question Him because we want to understand and we're willing to accept and be patient with His answer, is, is never a bad thing when we do it that way. We already said that uh, a letter was written with some questions concerning different areas, such as things pertaining to marriage, which we just got done learning the, the past few weeks, and singleness. Paul has been and will continue to address their questions and their potential questions, maybe. He anticipates, like Romans, certain questions or things that they may say, and he's going to kind of answer them and give the response to that. So... There's a question I want to ask ourselves this morning to all of us. I think that might be helpful. I had to ask myself this question as well. And I find myself having to ask myself this question often just by way of reminder as I live this Christian life. And that is, do we take comfort in the sovereignty of God? We talk about that word all the time. And as Reformed believers, even if you're here and you struggle with that type of uh, persuasion as far as understanding scriptures here at this church, the elders, we are committed to teaching Reformed theology. Okay, that's the way that we believe the Bible teaches, right? So we have that persuasion. So, as Reformed believers, we love to speak of His sovereignty. He is over all things, He's in control of all things, He sustains all things, all those things. God is in control of absolutely everything. And we especially love this when it comes to our salvation, namely, our calling and election, that God chose us before time was, before 
anything was even created. And we certainly should love to speak of this because it is both true and it draws us closer to Him. I've said this before. Nothing really draws me closer to the Lord when I understand that my salvation from beginning to end before I was even created as a human being, nothing can draw me closer to the Lord to know that I was marked from eternity past, that you guys were marked from eternity past, that you would be His children. That brings a lot of comfort to me, right? But where we struggle sometimes with God's sovereignty is in the areas of sanctification. In other words, right, we, we, we have to love and embrace it when it comes to our sanctification as well. And sanctification is us in this life until He calls us home, growing more conformed into the image of Christ. That means we have to understand that if God is in control of everything, that means that wherever we find ourselves, the situations that we find ourselves, that's the means by which God is bringing sanctification to us. Whether we put ourselves in that situation or whether God has just placed us in that situation, there's a reason for it. And we are to respond worthy of our salvation no matter where He has us. So, this is our attitude and our understanding in this will determine how we function in it. You know, if you remember Gabe a while back, with a sense of humor, right, mentioned, because he was teaching on the sovereignty of God, mentioned how we can often answer many questions concerning the Christian faith and even give counsel to others in the Christian faith by saying, well, God is sovereign. Like it's the easy way out. It's an easy answer for anything. God is sovereign. Why has this happened? God is sovereign. And he wasn't there mocking it. He was saying it kind of like as a joke when we talk around. Now that can be an easy way out for some people to minister to a brother and sister as true as it is. It can also be a little unempathetic, right? To just say, well, God is sovereign, brother. You know, grow up. No, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to empathize with each other. So not because the statement itself isn't true. God is indeed sovereign, but because you didn't give a little more detail. Okay, now that he is sovereign, this is what you ought to do to try to give more light and perspective. So in other words, we ought to show and explain what that actually looks like and have compassion on the hurting brother or sister. So just a, a reminder again of the context uh, in the Roman world during this time. And this is going to be important as we move on to this text. About a third to half of people in the Roman Empire were slaves, right? It was very, very common in that life. And we already learned that some were in marriages where only one spouse was saved, which led to potential, the potential for added friction, let's just say in a marriage that already has friction, potential friction, and the notion that it would be better and acceptable to just get a divorce, Right? This is what we just learned the past few weeks. We also learned that even with both spouses being saved, some were toying with the idea of getting divorced anyway, thinking that it would be better to be single. Paul was single. He's a model Christian. Maybe we should all be single and not have all those distractions that marriages brings. And obviously Paul says, no, that's not right at all either. Some were even refusing to give their spouses sex, thinking that refraining from sex was more holy than engaging in it, even within the, the marriage, the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship. So they had a lot of immaturity and just confusion in their thinking, and you're going to continue to see that throughout this letter. So again, 
Paul is going to give them some great light on some more things, and it is meant to be an encouragement for them. Everything he said is meant to be an encouragement from them. It's meant to help them along in the state of sanctification that they are now in. So for us to understand verse 17, though it is applicable in every context, I believe, we ought to first look at it as coming off the previous teaching. So in verse 15, if you remember, we learned of the example of a faithful spouse to an unsaved spouse. That that was something that was new, right? The gospel's coming into the world and... Some people were getting saved. Some people weren't getting saved. People were married. One spouse would get saved. So now, here's the situation. How do we operate in it? Right? And on the contrary, uh, I'm sorry, Paul says in that situation, because the mindset was, well, then maybe I should get a divorce. Right? And Paul says, don't seek out a divorce or leave just because your spouse is lost. On the contrary, if you take all of Scripture live with them in a godly manner, and if they still wanted to leave and get a divorce in spite of the saved spouse being godly, Paul then says, let them go. And we learned last week that Paul specifically commands them now at this point to let them go and follows it with the statement that God has called us to peace. So in this situation where one spouse gets saved, the other spouse, they're already married, they were lost when they got married, one gets saved, right? He says, if they're still willing to live with you, you be a godly spouse, right? There's other areas of scripture that, will, that, that there's evidence that by your good and your godly conduct, you might be used by God to win them over to Christ. Or maybe even if they're a believer, your godly conduct towards your believing spouse who's being disobedient to word might be won through your conduct, right? So Paul says that. But now in a situation where they're doing everything that they're supposed to do and they still want to leave, God says, let them go. You let them go. God has called you to peace. And what is implied there, most theologians say that even that you're, you're fine to get married again. You are not, you have done nothing wrong. You've actually done your part, right? So God does not want us to be miserable, especially when we honor Him by obeying Him. So the first thing He says here is that God is the one who places us in our current situations. So God was the one who put you in a situation of getting saved while your spouse didn't. And that was ordained by God. And one means by which He was bringing sanctification to you if you were in that particular category. And because He is gracious and pleased with the one who obeys Him, He blesses them and puts them in situations where they can have peace. So the word for assigned here, in, in verse 17, is the word, the Greek word, merizo. And it's in the aorist tense, and if you've learned before, the aorist tense sometimes can be a little difficult to understand. It's, it's supposedly it doesn't really have anything to do with past, present, or future, but usually it denotes past. And it's like taking a snapshot in time that it was something that happened by God in time. Right? And it means that God has permitted this current situation for the current season in the believer's life. And this is applicable in many different situations. Then the next clause in verse 17 is as God has called each one of you guys. And the word for call 
is in the perfect tense, speaking of the present state of affairs. So we did not have to change our state in order to be called by God, did we? In other words, I didn't have to do something in order to be called by God. That's not how it works. Rather, we were called just as we were, sinners who hated God and wanted nothing to do with Him, in the condition that we were in. We didn't have to change first to be saved. Rather, He changed us by giving us new life with ears to hear and eyes to see. And He doesn't command us to change the situations we are in, but to now be different in our situation now that we are in Christ Jesus and conduct ourselves as those who have been bought with a price and want to love God back because we are thankful. We want to show Him gratitude. So this is not just a specific teaching for the Corinthians, but a universal teaching for all churches. This is what Paul says in all the churches. So if we go back to the word for assigned in verse 17, we will see that it's the same word used in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, in regards to the gifting that God has given to each believer. So if you look at Romans 12, 3 for a second, he says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted, that's the word marizo again, to each a measure of faith. So if we look at this, the reason no one should think more highly of themselves is because it is God alone who gives us both with spiritual gifts and even the talents He has given us, right? We can't boast in that. Just like I can't, I can't boast in, we can't boast in what we look like, how tall we are, how short we are, what color of our skin is. We can't, it's something that is out of our hands. But he says that God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Again, this has to do with God's sovereignty, God's sovereign choice, His will. It is God who is in charge of how He equips us, and we don't have a say in this, right? We don't have a say in what our talents are and in what He gifts us spiritually in to do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he decides what situation he places us in, just as he decides how he gifts us, and just like he decides to what extent that he does the gifting. So think about someone, let's say, for instance, someone God gifts some people with the spiritual gift of health. Right? But he might give one person the ability with the gift of helps to do this much, and he gives another person the ability to do the gift of helps this much. And the one that he is gifted to do the gift of helps this much should not try to be this guy who was gifted this much. This is what God has given that person. And they are to be faithful and thankful just in that. You understand? So he decides what situation he places us in again, just as he decides how he gifts us, and just how he decides to what extent. So he says to walk in accordance to God's assignment. Don't complain about it. 
but embrace it. And when it is difficult, ask the Lord for His help to endure. It is difficult at times to deal with life, to deal with our situations. Ask God for help to endure, knowing that He will not give us a burden that we cannot handle. Too much that we cannot handle. So then, number two, verse 18. Number two, we ought to embrace these circumstances that God has placed us in and remember what God truly desires. Verse 18 says, Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called an uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. So now he's going to address another situation that was common in the Corinthian church in their own context. Salvation came to people in different situations. And one of them here at Corinth was the fact that both Jews and Gentiles became believers in the area of Corinth. So this was a mixed congregation, right? And though Paul was the apostle to the Gentile, he often was, as his custom was, he would always go on the Sabbath into the synagogues because he loved his Jewish brethren and he wanted to see them embrace Christ and receive the truth. And when he did this, as a result, some got saved. So the church in Corinth was mixed with both Jews and Gentiles. And we already know that there was the false teaching of the Judaizers. Essentially, they were legalists, right? And they taught that one must become like a Jew in order to be saved. In other words, they would embrace Christ, right? They would amen the things that we're saying with Christ, but it would be Jesus and. And Jesus and is just as false as no Jesus at all, right? Because now we're corrupting the gospel. This was the problem, if you remember, in the church at Galatia. So the division in the church here at Corinth, if you remember, if you go back to the beginning, was among those who identified with certain Jewish men. I am of Paul. I am of Peter. I am of, of Apollos. I am of Jesus. And all these men, including Jesus, were what? Jewish people. Right? So there could have been the mindset that becoming Jewish in culture was more holy. That's going to be better for me as a Christian if I just become totally like an actual Jewish person. Or, a Jewish believer living in a Greco-Roman culture might have thought that they had to become culturally like them. Believe it or not, if you look at the, as I was looking at the language here in verse 7, uh, verse 18 rather, was any man called while he was uncircum uh, already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Well, how do you do that? There was actually a procedure to reverse the actual thing of circumcision that existed in the Roman Empire. It's something that's historically verifiable. I can't even imagine having to go through that because I guess in sports and athletics, in Greek culture, that there was, you know, gyms and all that kind of stuff, and they bathed, and I guess there would have been some embarrassment. In any effect... Paul says, listen, none of these things makes one more holy. Therefore, remain just as you are, but only remember that you are now God's child, and you should walk accordingly. 
So guess what? Whether you were an unbelieving Jew or an unbelieving Gentile, you walked according to your flesh. And now that you are in Christ, you are to walk according to the Spirit's power. Right? And there's no wiggle room there. God doesn't give you a middle ground. You're His. Live for Him. That's always going to be the right way. We're not going to do it perfectly. That's when we repent. We repent genuinely repent. But we are to walk according to this new nature. Verses 19 to 22 says, Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. So here, Paul expresses very clearly that being a Jew or a Gentile does nothing in regards to being more holy. Right? In the future, and in one sense, even now, none of this matters. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, that now becomes our true identity, right? Our identity isn't in what ethnic background we are. We should embrace the fact that we have a church, we're a multi-ethnic church, that's a great thing, that's part of God's divine plan, right? But our identity is not in that stuff, our identity is in Jesus Christ. We all have God as our Father, Amen? We can embrace that. We have Jesus as our Savior and the Holy Spirit as our Helper. He's helping us right now. He's helping us all the time. Sometimes He's helping us and we're too stubborn to allow Him to help us. We grieve. We quench the Spirit. We do things like that. Now and in the age to come, We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. That includes your spouse. Your real identity with them is that they're your sibling in the big scheme of things. So we're all members right now here in this church and all Christians all over the place. We're members of one family, the family of God. And we all got to this point by the same means. God chose us for salvation in His Son. The Spirit made us born again. The result of that, having ears to hear and eyes to see, we repented willfully of our own accord now because our nature has been changed. Our heart, our hard heart, has been taken out. We repented and we believed and were sealed with the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance and we have eternal life waiting us. This should have been a great comfort to those who were slaves, right? Because he mentioned slaves here. So God is reminding them as well that they are really children of the king. You as slaves, you're you're children of the God of all creation. He is your father. He reminds saved masters of the same thing. Not here in the text, but if we take all of scripture, right? We are to take everything in light of all of scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 5 to 9, look what it says. It says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, 
with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service. In other words, don't just be doing it when they're, when, when they're watching you, right? As men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive from back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them. In other words, do good to those who are your slaves. And give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. So I love how God addresses everything beautifully. So Paul doesn't say to the slave, rebel and run away from your master, but rather continue being good. Think of Philemon. Think of Paul meeting Onesimus in prison, who was the runaway slave of Philemon. Philemon gets saved. Onesimus gets saved. What does he do? He sends Onesimus back to Philemon. He tells Philemon, receive him as a brother. Knowing that you're both slaves to the one true master. Right? So he's balanced and he acknowledged that if you can be free, of course, that's much better. Right? The solution, the, the problem to solve that really is the gospel. So all believers had the same future and were saved the same way. But that is all wonderful and we should never make light of it. But now what do we do? We are not in the age to come yet, right? We're here in this sin-cursed world still. And we're going to be here until that appointed time when God calls us home or when He comes back bodily. And until then, we are to be doing something, aren't we? As believers. And it is not to be like anything the world around us is doing. The world around us is much different. We said right from the beginning. They march to a different beat. What does he say here at the end of verse 19? Look at verse 19. What is that last clause? What matters is what? Keeping of the commandments of God. He says that is what really matters. And what are these commandments? And you guys know me. What are these commandments? What do you think these commandments are? Church who was under grace. What are these commandments? Huh? The two great commandments, which is the summary of what? Good. The Ten Commandments, right? Huh? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? What is that? The first table, verse commandments 1 to 4. Loving your neighbor as yourself. The second table, commandments 5 to 10. For all, for everything is falls under this. So we call this the moral law. Moral means of or relating to principles of right and in wrong behavior. As Christians, we are to be right in our behavior. And who is the one who determines what right and wrong is? God, right? He has showed us this in the Decalogue. 
And Jesus declared very clearly that it is summed up again in the two great commandments that Dan just shared. So Paul says, being a mouthpiece for God, what matters is that. Not because you're going to gain salvation because of it. You can't do that. You already have salvation in Christ. He gave it to you in spite of you being a breaker of this law constantly. He gave it to you. But now, obey the law. Go and sin no more, he said to the adulterous woman, right? Sin. Any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. It always goes back to the law. Right? We are not to be law breakers. And guess what? You can obey the commandments of God in whatever condition that He called you in. Jew, Gentile, slave, or free, whatever. Right? So let's look at a couple couple of verses. Galatians and then Colossians. Colossians is rather long. I had a couple of verses and then as I'm looking at that, every time I try to reference a verse, I like to look at the context and I'm like, I can't, I can't skip the re- without reading all these verses. So, gods, I'm not going to say I'm sorry for reading a long passage of Scripture, but it's such a blessing just looking at what is said here. So let's look first at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. says, For you are all sons of God, how? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So we're not all God's children. Like the world loves it, we're all God's children. No, you're not. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. He is our righteousness, right? That's a doctrine of imputation. We don't have a righteousness of ourselves. It's Jesus' righteousness that we're clinging to. Right? There is neither Jew nor Greek... There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. What a wonderful blessing. Right? We are true children of Abraham. So it doesn't make a difference who you are or were, but what really matters is who you are and were. Right? Such were some of you. Not no more. Now you're His. Jesus says, now you're mine. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. So if you have been raised with Him, and we know we have been, we're new creations in Christ Jesus, keep our eyes fixed and gazed upon Him who is above. He's everywhere, but He is above. And He's coming back. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, 
evil desire and greed which amounts to idolatry. And that's an important verse. We see, we see these, uh, these bod- these, this body, how it craves sin still. We talk about it all the time. Yet we have to stop for a second and we need to make our thinking right. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, thank God for the but now, right? You also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. These are all deeds of the flesh, right? Do not lie to one another, deeds of the flesh, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the what? The new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, us, the church, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Look at the high standard God is leaving us. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. What a wonderful passage of Scripture that gives us so much light into how we should be in this world. Again, we are all one body of Christ. Embrace the fact that the world makes so many distinctions, right? But God does not within His body. You know, we deal with divisions in politics, divisions in culture, divisions in race, which there is no such thing. Man-made. Division in social status, whatever. That's what the world does. But we should embrace the fact that God has made all of us one family. Even though we all look different, have different personalities, and have different backgrounds. Yet we're all one in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing the Lord has done for His people. And then finally here in verses 23 to 24, point 3. We must remember the cost of our salvation. We observe the Lord's table, right? What do we say? Do this in remembrance of me. Israel's, one of their chief sins was the fact that they constantly forgot all that the Lord God did for them. Right? 
What a shame it would be for us as the church who have more light than anyone. All the mysteries have been revealed in Christ Jesus to forget the cost of our salvation. Verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. So obviously here the focus is going to be on verse 23. If we neglect to remember the cost of our salvation, it means we fail to respect the great work that God has done. We are. If we neglect this, we fail to show Him respect of everything that He has done for us. You know, the driving force behind our devotion to Him is who He is and what He has done. Right? He is the almighty, uncreated God who was and is and is to come. That alone is enough right there. That is enough. We worship Him because of who He is. He is God and we are not. Right? But God has revealed things to us concerning Himself. He has told us what He is like. Now I wouldn't finish this lesson if I named all these things because God has revealed much concerning Himself. But we know He is good. Right? We know He is kind. Without the kindness of God, none of us would be saved. We know He's all-powerful. We know He is all-knowing. We know He's everywhere, always. We know that He is righteous. We know that He is holy. We know that He is merciful and gracious and forgiving. These are all things that we know about God. That He has revealed to us in one area, in His Word. But what perhaps says it all is that He is love. And not the way lost people in the world love to say God is love by embracing all different types of sinful behavior. No. God is love. And so much comes from that statement. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 11 The Apostle says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We must remember this about God because our salvation is based again on His goodness and kindness towards us. We must remember again, not live and dwell here, but we must remember remember that we were a people 
who did not seek Him. Romans says, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. There is none righteous. No, not one. We were a people who did not desire to love Him. Humanity's chief of sins is we love ourselves. That's why the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing should come before me, God says. He is God. And the more in tune we are to His love, the more we will understand what that means. And the greatest act of love came by the only being who is the essence of love. Love is God, comes from God. He is the essence of love. The Father sent His only begotten Son. The Son was always willing, in eternity past, to go and in fact did go. The Spirit did the work necessary for us to see it. So many in the world don't see it, right? We were praying this morning, Ed was praying this morning about, again, our loved ones that are lost. Lord, have mercy on them. Open their eyes. That's all we can do is plead for them. But guess what? He did the work necessary for us. We see it. Not everyone's going to see it. Think of how great that love is. The Spirit made it necessary, did the work necessary for us to see it. In other words, to see our sin. And to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by Him. Most of the world don't see it. They think we're nuts. Yet we see it. And when we understand this, brothers and sisters, we will be able to handle the conditions of and in our life much, much better because we are looking at it through the lens that God has told us to look at it. Amen? I'm going to close real quick because I think it's fitting. In Genesis chapter 39, with Joseph, you know the story of Joseph. And we don't want to make this too much about Joseph. There's a greater purpose in this. But this, we know the situation with Joseph, right? So in verse 6, he's now... Potiphar's slave, but he is like, that's like, he was like a king almost living, being there. He had it very good, right? Genesis 39, verse 6 to 9. says, So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, this is Potiphar, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except for the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against my God? So Joseph had the right perspective, did he not? He knew God, and he knew the favor he showed towards Him. And like every believer, he knew his own sin and his own need for salvation, even in the Old Testament. 
And knowing the love of God that has been given to him, he knew that it would be beyond wicked to sin against him after all that God has done and all the mercy that God has shown him. Brothers and sisters, this must be our mindset as well. The goal of our freedom in Christ is to be an an obedient slave to our Heavenly Master. That is our goal. So let us strive to do that. That's the high calling of every saint. Amen? I don't have time for questions if you have any. Because I already went over. So I'm going to pray. And if you have any questions, you can ask me at any other time. Or comments. So we can get into service. Father, again, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the light that it gives us. And the understanding that it gives us. The knowledge that it gives us, Lord. But now, as we opened your word and saw it for ourselves, we can choose to respond foolishly by being disobedient to it, or we can choose to respond in wisdom by obeying it and rightly applying it. So I pray, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you and you alone would do that in each and every one of our lives. And when that happens, there's room for only one person to be glorified, and that is you. So we'll give you all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.